episode 229 of The Sleeper and the Bust. It is your Thursday edition, and I am Paul Spohr, and today I am rolling solo. As we discussed on the Tuesday episode, Eno cannot be available for the show today, and uh, I didn't really have time to look for a guest. I'll just I'll, I'll come clean. I didn't even really get time to look for one, so I just decided, you know what? I can handle this on my own. It won't be that hard. Um, I don't think. I will miss Eno. That, that's that's a certainty, but uh, we can get this done for sure. I'm just going to talk about some injuries and some performances. It's, gonna be, it's definitely going to be a little bit shorter, but uh, we'll, we'll see how this goes. And it's obviously not going to be a regular occurrence, so uh, hopefully you don't hate it too much. Let's start talking about uh, some of the latest injuries. And uh, the first one is John Segura is headed to the disabled list with a fractured pinky, uh, which I can't imagine feels very good. Obviously, you know, you hear something like, fractured pinky and it it doesn't sound like a severe injury you know i guess the word pinky no matter what it just can't sound severe but i mean think about it uh, it, it might not seem that like that an important of a finger but for the, all the stuff that you have to do in terms of batting, fielding, etc., uh, I, I guess it's just batting and fielding. He doesn't pitch, so I don't know what what the etc. would be. But um, it seems like it could definitely be crucial. So you know, hopefully, pe- people are uh, understanding that it might not sound like a severe injury, but obviously, it's it's important enough to send Segura to the disabled list. Luis Sardinas was called up. Uh, you know, he was a one-time prospect for Texas, who I believe uh, was part of the. Giovanni Gallardo deal this year, and he, he could do some things. Sardinas could. He, he's a young middle infielder, just 22 years old, hitting all right in Colorado Springs. First off, you got to take the environment uh, into consideration. Hitting is, I don't think that's the be- the biggest part of Sardinas's game. No matter what, if anything, you're going to get some empty batting average out of him. Uh, so, if you're, in terms of replacing Segura, you're probably going to want to look elsewhere. But if you just go straight with the fill-in. Uh, of Sardinas, then that's probably what you can expect is some empty batting average at best. Will Myers is out three to four days with a wrist injury. He's going to avoid the disabled list, uh, which is obviously good news for the Padres and himself. Will Venable will be the benefactor here. Uh, it looks like just switching Will for Will. And, and, he, and, and Venable's been playing all right. Um, I actually talked about him today in a piece that I did about part-time players who could become primetime players, you know, guys who could become uh, important. And I put Venable in there because obviously if he had a full-time role, we saw him just a couple of years ago put up a 22-22 season. That's homers and stolen bases. Um, and, and obviously Will Venable then, he got on the radar, you know, he's a chic late-round pick last year and then completely flopped. I mean, that, there's really no other way to put it. He had 448 plate appearances and went with Eight homers and 11 uh, stolen bases with a 224 average. That that that's a flop right there. Not not a season killing flop uh, because of where you what you had to pay for Venable, but definitely a flop. So far this year, he's looked a lot more like that uh, 2013 version. Although actually not as much speed, but power wise, he's kind of, he's on about a 20 uh, something homer ca- uh, pace right now. So uh, hitting 261, only one stolen base in two attempts. But I don't know. For me, it seems like. Stolen base guys, they got to kind of get in a rhythm. I know that you know pinch run, you come in, you gotta you, you gotta be considered to do it. But but overall, I think it's uh, preferable uh, for guys. I guess it, it kind of goes without saying that it's preferable for guys to be playing every day and getting a rhythm. But with stolen base guys, I find that those who play very sporadically 
um, aren't always the best at, at, at delivering the, the, the speed that we expect. Certain guys can. Rajay Davis has done it in reserve role forever. Uh, Juan Pierre, after eventually losing a starting role, did it for years. You know, it can happen. But I think that maybe for somebody like Venable, who isn't a pure burner like those guys either, you know, he's, he's 20-something speed, not 40s and 50s. Um, I think he needs more of a more – obviously, the more playing time, the better, but also to get in that kind of rhythm. So uh, he'll at least get three or four days here, I think, out in center field. And then, uh, you know, there was some talk around San Diego's outfield in, in my chat today and also on uh, subsequently on Twitter, and, and somebody did theorize that maybe – they could move Kemp or Will Myers into first base while Yonder Alonso is hurt, and then Venable would get even more playing time that way. So, you know, he's definitely somebody to pick up in the in the short term here because of this potential playing time uh, for Will Venable. Will Venable, but in mixed league, you got to be careful because I just don't know how much you're gonna be able to rely on him until something opens up that suggests he's gonna get major playing time. Jake McGee is returning this weekend for the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, there is no word, uh, or at least that I've been able to find, on uh, you know kind of how or if they're going to you know ease him into the closer's role, slot him right in, or uh, or, or not at all, and, and let Brad Boxberger continue it. Obviously, it's a big blow for folks that have uh, Brad Boxberger because you know he's been excellent. There's really no two ways around it. Uh, 14 innings, 20 strikeouts, a 129 ERA, a .93 WHIP, um, and 10 saves. I mean, Boxberger has been excellent. Now, I, I guess I'll be put to the test. Something I kept saying in the offseason is that I thought that he would be he would do so well and be good enough to just take the role. Uh, that that they weren't necessarily going to be married to McGee and that if Boxberger excelled and like I said he has in every way possible that he might actually keep the role so uh, I, I, I believe that's a, a distinct possibility I, I'd actually like to see it I, th I think uh, I think he should hold the role I actually really like McGee I loved him coming into the season but obviously now with the injury concern it, it, it really lowered his value and it's looking like it's going to be a month and a half kind of on the nose here in terms of time missed I'd be okay if he went back into the role. I actually have him in in a league, but uh, in terms of the way I saw it, I really wouldn't be surprised if Boxberger's done enough to to hold that role. Another big uh, returning closer is Kenley Jansen looking like he's going to return this weekend, and Don Mattingly has kind of outlined his plan for uh, reinserting Kenley Jansen into that closer's role. They, they said it's going to be a couple of, uh, uh, you know, boost them up sort of appearances, you know, kind of kind of get your feet under you in Major League games for the first time this year, and then he'll be inserted back into the role. So maybe some seventh inning stuff. Probably nothing too hot. I don't know if it's, you know, even in the seventh inning, if it's a bases loaded jam and, and they're up by two runs. I don't know if that's if he's going to bring him in for those, it seems like Jansen's going to come into some some friendlier situations, get his uh, footing under him, and then be reinserted into that closer's role. Unfortunately, uh, I mean, it, it does strengthen the Dodgers, but it doesn't strengthen, strengthen them as much as uh, they definitely hope because uh, to make the move, it's looking like P Pedro Baez is going to go on the disabled list. So they're, they're kind of trading there. 
and I'm not going to suggest that Pedro Baez is as good as Kenley Jansen, but uh, for the 15 innings that he pitched, he certainly was. He, he was every bit uh, Kenley Jansen-esque, obviously not in the closer's role, but 176 ERA, .99 whip, uh, 15 innings I mentioned, 22 strikeouts and only three walks. So he was fantastic. That's a big blow right there uh, to lose him. I, I think a Jansen, Yimmy Garcia, uh, Chris Hatcher, and, and Pedro Baez uh, quartet right there, that's, that's pretty good. Uh, that, that's really that's really going to put teams in trouble at that point, and they need the Dodgers really need to kind of bridge that gap for some of their back end starters. Obviously, they have Kershaw and Greinke who can give club uh, the bullpen a night off on any given night. But then Brett Anderson, Carlos Frias, they haven't really shown yet that they can go beyond five right now. Same with Mike Bolsinger, and we'll see if he even maintains the role. So um, you know, it, again, it is great news that Jansen's returning. They they 100% want that, but unfortunately, it's not as good. Of news as it could have been um, because they're going to lose a piece in Pedro Baez as well. By the way, for those of you that had Yimmy Garcia, you know, hoping to get some saves there, he only ended up getting one, but you know, he's basically uh, been matched matched or exceeded what Pedro Baez was doing. So it, losing Kenley Jansen, they didn't feel that really at all because they got two Kenley Jansons for 15 innings apiece. Uh, Yimmy Garcia had 24 strikeouts in his, six walks though, uh, 180 ERA and a .87 whip. I mean, he was absolutely ridiculous. I think he might have blown a save, or actually Baez did. I think one of them blew a save at some point, but either way, I mean, you just you, you, you can't uh, get angry or, or, or have any real qualms with what they gave in the absence of Kenley Jansen. And of course, J.P. Howell, a lefty, he's been getting the job done. He's not quite the uh, strike him out guy the, the way these other guys are. But between Jansen, Peralta, and, and Brandon League uh, going on a disabled list, it was looking like the bullpen could, could be a deficiency for the Dodgers. And they more than made do. They really excelled with it. And it it's, it's really frightening for the rest of the league how good they've been despite really only having two you know, super reliable starters and then kind of piecing it together once McCarthy went down and he wasn't even great when he was pitching, um, you know, losing Kenley Jansen, not missing a single beat, then losing both of his next replacements, Brandon League and Joel Peralta, and not missing a beat. Um, and, and the fact that Yasiel Puig's been out, Carl Crawford's out, the offense has been amazing. It's it's just it's ridiculous that they're 20 and 11 despite having some real roadblocks thrown up uh, in in their in their path there. I'm just I think that's really bad news for the rest of the league. This was kind of the, maybe going to be a time where you can make some hay on them, and and it hasn't been the case at all. Kelly Johnson's going to be dealed with a uh, oblique issue, and you know, this is a little bit of a bummer for for some of you deep leaguers who are maybe riding uh, Kelly Johnson's hot streak here. He had a bunch of homers. I think he had six total. He absolutely loves the month of May. I, I don't know what it is, but the dude throughout his career rakes in the month of May, so it's unfortunate that he's going to miss uh, the, the second half of it. Six homers, 259 average, 82089 uh, OPS. You know, Kelly Johnson's all right. He's usually one of those guys who qualifies in a couple different spots, so that helps. This year, it's been uh, primarily outfield, but eight games at third base, although he came in with third and first base eligibility. Depending how loose your league is, Kelly Johnson could qualify at second base, so that's one of those utility guys. I mean, 
he's not quite maybe he's this, kind of this generation's Ty Wigginton maybe I don't know uh, he's, he's he's done some good fantasy relevant things in the past and maybe he can ag again once he gets healthy but I think he's really more of a DFS play because he's usually cheap and so if you've got a platoon advantage against a weak righty I think that's really where you want to deploy him I'm not sure I really care about him too much um, in any sort of season-long leagues Jay, uh, John Jay is going to hit the disabled list with a wrist injury, and that's going to open up playing time for Peter Borjos. And I know he's off to a good start. He's got an 839 OPS. He's hitting 311. That's Borjos, but I don't buy it. The dude still hasn't shown that he can't hit, that he can hit lefties with any measure of consistency whatsoever or or, or, or quality. Um, and as a right-hander, you would you would hope that he could have that at least have the platoon advantage. And his his uh, numbers then are being propped up by a 4.76 batting average on balls in play against right-handers right now. So he's hitting 3.57, but. Uh, against righties, but I'm just I'm not seeing it. I, I've been on the Peter Burgos train before, and I, I've I've long since gotten off, and I'm I'm just not really that interested in getting back on it. So you know, maybe he can prove me wrong, but it's it's a situation now where he's got to show it to me before I'm going to come around. You know, there's certain guys obviously if you hear that they're going to get some playing time, you're going to run out there and get them. Um, you know, half the half the Dodgers bench, or actually all of the Dodgers bench probably, but um, somebody like Peter Burgos. I don't know. I, be, I bet there's a better option. So um, good, good luck with that if, you, if you're really super interested in it. And that's going to cover it for the, the injuries. Oh, I, uh, Justin Masterson hit the disabled list. But I don't know. He'd been terrible. And, and who are they really going to bring up that's uh, that's going to make a difference? I, I just the, – the Boston pitching staff, man, uh, that was one that the, the – pundits and everyone they, they, they didn't miss you know uh, there's certain storylines that start to develop in preseason and they become kind of the, the main ones that everyone sees and kind of follows and and one of them was well okay the the Red Sox went out and spent that money they're doing some good things over there there's there's some reasons to be excited but what about that pitching and uh, that that's proven to be a major issue. Uh, Rick Porcello with a 450 ERA is pacing the team, and he's been much better lately. So he, he's actually kind of branched off from the group. Then the other four range from 560 to 637, and that 637 belongs to Masterson. So, you know, good luck with that, like I said. Eduardo Rodriguez, uh, if he were to be called up, that, that would intrigue me a little bit because I am uh, interested to see what he can do. He was somebody that they got in the uh, Andrew Miller trade last year. Henry Owens, you know, he, he could be interesting, but even still, young guys coming up like that into this environment uh, in Boston – I don't know how geeked I would be anyway to just rush out and get them for a short-term situation. By the way, Henry Owens has no idea where the plate is right now in AAA, so I can't imagine he's anywhere near being called up. He's got 25 strikeouts in 31 innings and 25 walks. Yikes. So, um, again, that's, that's not going to happen. All right, let's talk about a few players who are performing. Um, I think most of them, let me see here. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, they're all performing well lately. So I'm talking about guys who are, you know, uh, running well, and, and, and we're going to just discuss about maybe how I feel about them going forward. The first one is Shinsu Chu, and uh, I, honestly, if you followed my writing for too long uh, at all, or even read the piece I wrote about him recently, then you know 
I, I, I love Shinsu Chu. I already, uh, I'm already going to spoil the end here. I, I believe. I believe in what's happening. So, uh, But Chu's absolutely dominating May. He had, he had another good day today on Thursday afternoon. He's got a, an 11.27 OPS during May with four homers and 11 ribbies in 14 games. You know, he's slowly working his triple slash back up. It had really bottomed out on Chu, and yet there was really nothing in his profile that suggested that he should be anywhere near this bat. And without without the revelation of a new injury or a recurrence of the old injuries, then I just didn't see a reason to think that this was going to continue. There, there was just no way. He ended April with an 096, 254, 173 line. I mean, that's that's impossibly bad. And so uh, he's on the complete other end of the spectrum right now in, in May. And I think Shinsu Chu will, will continue to stay hot. I think for the rest of the year, uh, he is very realistically a, you know, 800 OPS player. Um, at, at least I would say, I mean, I, I just, I, I think he's, he's that good. And I know last year he was at 714 in his 123 games, but there was an injury uh, behind that. And so the year before that in Cincinnati, he was excellent with an 885. And, uh, and, and then going back even one more year, that 815. So Shinsu Chu has been a great player in two of the past three seasons. And I know the, the bad one was the most recent, but it was injury related. He's healthy now. I think he's going to get much closer to the 2012-2013 level that we saw. And if you smash those two together, it's an 850 OPS. And I'm saying he's an 800 at least. And so obviously there's there's room for growth there uh, if he if he's up at that 850 level. Um, I'm not sure how much speed we're going to see from Chu. He doesn't have a stolen base attempt yet this year. So maybe the 2020 days are, are, are gone. But quality average, uh, solid power, and then, you know, Decent runs scored and driven in, dependent upon the Rangers lineup. Obviously, it's not great, but the next guy I'm going to talk about, Prince Fielder, is also hitting well. They have some pieces to make sure it's not anemic. So uh, maybe not 100 runs scored. Um, you know, probably already too far off the pace to do that anyway. Um, and that, again, part of that is due to the lineup, and uh, even with his horrific April. But uh, I don't know, maybe 80 a piece, 80 runs, 80, 80. Maybe not 80 driven in. No, he hasn't done 80 driven in in, in four years. That's that's obscene. Um, maybe maybe 35 more runs driven in the rest of the year. Now is that yeah that that's all right. Now I don't know. Who cares about my RBI projection? I do think he'll score runs. I do think Chu will hit homers. I, I I'll I'll give Chu about uh, 14 homers the rest of the way. So that will put him at 19. Uh, maybe that's a little aggressive, but who cares? Shinsu Chu rules. Anyway, moving on to Prince Fielder, as I mentioned, he's also crushing in May. He's got a 10.28 OPS, three homers, 10 RBIs, 14 games as well. So he's you know j just off the pace of of Chu. And obviously, if they, if they're a nice one-two punch in the middle of the lineup there. Then, uh, like I said, the, the Rangers are going to be, uh, again, not good, but, but more ca capable, you know, if Beltre gets back on track and he's not even that far, far off. I don't think he's like lost and, and, you know, uh, completely out of the way here. So you're looking at a lineup with Fielder, Chu, uh, Beltre, Andrews, uh, it can't be this bad, Kenny. I don't think so. And I know Leonis Martin is, is, I believe, ailing, and also he's been terrible. Um, I think at least one of those, at least one of Andrews or Martin will get better. And, and so then you got the other three guys there. You know, so you got the makings of, of, of an okay lineup. If Kyle Blanks could stay healthy, I know that's kind of the biggest LOL. Um, but anyway, I, I'm, I'm kind of buying in both of the Rangers here. 
I know their team dependent numbers are going to be a little bit lower because it's not a great club, but um, I, I didn't really waver uh, on either of them. You know, I, I understood the, the hype for Fielder coming into the year for sure. I wasn't able to get any of it. I, I, I kind of wanted to buy in, uh, but then, okay, gets off to a decent start with the batting average, but he wasn't hitting for power. I still thought the power would come, and now after, what, he go 15 games without a homer? He's got four since, including three in May. So it's coming together for Fielder. I think he, he's going to have a, a very strong season, and then Chu's going to wind up. Uh, his his bottom line numbers are going to look, uh, like I said, a good bit like that 2012-2013, um, at least from a rate standpoint. Edwin Encarnacion uh, was awful in the first 20 games of the season. I mean, he had 585 OPS, and it's it's an arbitrary endpoint for sure, 20 games, so it sounds like it, it means something more than if I said the first 18 games, but I'm just pointing out that he was terrible for 20 games. There, there's, you know, I, I don't know what it was. It was something that I wasn't worried about. I, I'm using arbitrary endpoints because um, just to kind of illustrate the point, not to say that I think there was a change. I wasn't worried at that point. I, I, I'm Sure, you can find people asking in Twitter, oh, what's going on with him? And I, I would have said, nothing. No, don't worry. Who cares? It's no big deal. There's nothing to worry about. Um, but he did have the 585 OPS. But since then, Encarnacion in his last 16 games has a 1029 with four homers in his last six games, including one so far on Thursday night. So, again, the the, the point is, is that there, there was nothing really wrong with him. He, he was running a little bit cold. He actually got off to a great start to start the season. He had uh, hits in all three games uh, at New York, in, in, including a pair of multi-hit games. He had a couple homers. So, you know, I'm sure everyone was saying, oh, he's off to a good start. There's probably tweets out there, oh, yeah, he's going to have a huge season because he's off to such a great start. Well, then he runs cold for another 17 games, and now he's off to a bad start. So, so it's like, which, which is it? The fact is, unless you're seeing anything – uh, visibly different or, or there's changes to be worried about, then neither is more important than the other. The fact is he just wasn't hitting as well as he could, um, and he was going to pull out of it, and Encarnacion has pulled out of it. So hopefully he didn't get, get crazy and start selling low on him or anything like that. I still think – and they've, they've been great, but I don't know if they've, if they've really blown the doors off people. Like I think that Toronto offense still will. Um, I know that they're top 10 against righties in WRC+, plus, but I don't think – it's not in the top five for sure. Um, and they're crushing lefties. I think they're going to continue to absolutely obliterate lefties. But I think they're also going to hit righties. Even though there's a lot of right-handed pop in that, in that lineup, I still think that they're going to just scare everybody. Todd Frazier, man. I got to talk about this guy a little bit because he's really been ridiculous. And I think we've, you know, Eno and I have talked about him a couple different times. And the one thing was, I think we both were continually saying, listen, the power, we, 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 we buy a lot of that, uh, that the 20, maybe not 29 again, but uh, it certainly is not out of the realm of possibilities. I, well, I wasn't going to regress him hard back down to those 19s that we'd seen. I, I thought, okay, this guy is a power hitter. I believe Todd Frazier has a power hitter for sure. The one thing that the common thread was, but the 20 stolen bases, I don't know about all that. And uh, and that makes sense because he was 1, 3, 6, and then 20. And, and sometimes guys who aren't known for speed have these random seasons because 
you know, sometimes stolen bases, they're just kind of – unless a guy is like Billy Butler, there are a lot of guys out there who you probably don't even realize could easily steal 20 bases in a season. Um, and, and you wouldn't consider them fast. You you would probably actually consider them slow, and that's simply not the case. Outside of your Billy Butler types at the, at the bottom end of the scale there, uh, most of the players live in a pretty tight – band of, of speed there so then it comes down to uh, knowing how to do it and how to do it properly um, obviously if you just took a, a bunch of attempts anyone could steal 20 bases I assume if they played you know 140 games all year but uh, I, I'm saying obviously and be good at it main point didn't think Frazier was going to be that guy though who just does it all the time I thought it was okay cool you did that 28 you went 2020 that's awesome but let's just focus on hitting for the power. If you if you lose most of that speed, I'm fine. Flash, flash forward now to Thursday night. He's got six. <laughs> Frazier's got six stolen bases. So it, it's it's already impressive enough. Oh, and by the way, the one thing that we knew or, or we felt we knew about him is still true because we said, okay, the power's real. Boom, he's got 12 homers. That's the NL best. Uh, but more impressive, I think, is the six stolen bases because, that, again, did not see that coming. I think a lot of people would have said that maybe the six that he already has, they would have accepted that. Even with the price that they paid for him, said, listen, if you give me even at least another 29 homers and a 273 average with 80-80, um, six stolen bases, that's fine. Well, you've already got six. Should probably get at least another six, but it looks like this is kind of a thing because Buster – or not Buster Posey. Uh, that, that's who they stole him off of. Joey Votto got his fifth. So these guys are running, and it's looking like they're taking advantage uh, of, of the ability to get some stolen bases here to kind of boost things up because uh, why not? Because the offense isn't running that well. Uh, you know, I don't mean um, in terms of stolen bases. I mean uh, as a unit. They're, they're, not, they're, they're running a little bit cold right now, uh, and, and Frazier and Votto are really the only ones that are, that are absolutely raking. Well, Cozart too. I, I can't leave him out. Cozart, Votto, and Frazier, but, but Hamilton's been uh, terrible. Bird – Actually, I think he's starting to heat up, but then, you know, Mezzarocco isn't even playing. Brandon Phillips is kind of, eh. Jay Bruce running cold for sure. I'm not terribly worried about him, but I think he's hitting like 158 or something silly like that. So maybe the guys, uh, Votto and Frazier, are trying to jumpstart the offense with, with a little bit of stolen base action. But the fact that they have 11 between them is kind of crazy. Um, and I know paces are, are kind of silly. I, I, I like to do it just more of the shock of it and like wow that that's really what what he's doing right now but Frazier's on pace for 57 homers and 30 stolen bases that would be such a ridiculous season first off I don't think he'll play 162 games which is also what he's on pace for and clearly he's not going to do either of those but I do think based on what we're seeing with this running that we could see a 30-20 out of him, and that's that's incredible. I mean, he's 11th on the player rater right now, and I think Todd Frazier, I mean, he's at least a top 30 guy right now, and he was drafted 20, or excuse me, 48th, according to uh, Fantasy Pros. They do the six different sites and, and kind of composite it up, and he was average overall 48th. Um, as low as 72nd at ESPN and as high as 38th in the NFBC. So, you know, well then at that, at that point, he's probably moved up more than that. Um, let's see. I don't know. I'll, I'll stick with that because I, I'm still a, a touch skeptical uh, regarding the speed. Uh, but I'm going to say 
at least a top 25 player right now. I'll, I'll, I'll bump it up five, five spots there on that original uh, projection. And, and let's just take an idea. Let's just take a quick gander here at uh, last year's situation. And I like to use the ESPN player. It's, it's just a simple thing. You know, it, it, anything that kind of ranks it gives you a good idea of, of how guys are performing in season. I, I, I like it. It's an easy tool. It's not perfect, but I like to kind of use it to gauge things every once in a while. So, okay, last year Todd Frazier finished 15th. And so if I think he can do a 30-20, if I think that's realistically in play, and I, actually, I absolutely do, then I have to say that he's a top 10 player, right? I think – I think I'm talking myself into Todd Frazier as a top 10 player right now. That's what's happening on this solo podcast. Eno, come back. Um, no, I, I'm going to go with it. I think Todd Frazier is a top 10 player right now because uh, the 238 batting average that he has, I, I think that that's headed upward too. You know, uh, he's got a 202 batting average on balls in play right now for Frazier. I don't think that that's – I think that's a bit flukish. Obviously, part of that is the fact that, you know, 12 of his hits are homers, and home, uh, batting, homers don't count in batting average on balls in play. So that's part of it. But also I think there's been some, uh, you know, just – you want to call it bad luck or whatever. He's better than that. He's shown a better rate than that always, forever. He's a 288 for his career. Frazier was at 309 Babbitt last year. So, I mean, he's adding at least – 70 points to the batting average on balls in play, I would say, at, at, at the very least. Um, so meanwhile, I like the fact that he's walking more and striking out less. So a lot of that adds up to an even better batting average for Todd Frazier. So even as the homer and stolen base pace is both cool, the batting average is going to shoot up. I think he's going to gain at least 30 points. That's that's up to 268. I'm, I'm going to go at least there. But I, I, I could see upwards – I could see upwards of a 280 average, which would be a career high. You know, it's 273 two different times. Man, I'm really, I'm really diving in here on this, uh, on this top 10 thing. So yeah, I'm sticking with it though. I think, I think Todd Frazier's top 10 player, and and not just banking what he has. I'm gonna say the rest of the way, because like I said, I know the homer and and stolen base paces, and if if if, if it's the numbers that I say, 30, 20 season, that's gonna be 18 and 15. That's still pretty good for the rest of the year, and you know to get if if he's going to get his numbers up to 280, um, or maybe just hit 280 the rest of the way. Doesn't necessarily have to bring that 238 all the way up to 280, but but what if he hits 280 the rest of the way with 18 and 15? I think that puts Frazier as a, as a top 10 player. I, I don't know if that's absolutely insane or not. I'm, I should say top 10 hitter. Because I, I, I'm separating the two there. I, sh I shouldn't say because, – yeah, because pitchers, that, that, that messes it all up. Uh, I'm separating the two. I'm going to say top ten hitter. So that's it. Yeah, that's, that's what I'm going with. I've spent however long on this, 10 minutes, 20 minutes of, of however – 30 minutes that has been going on here, um, you know, giving a dissertation on how Todd Frazier is a top ten player the rest of the way. But I'm sticking with it. Let's talk about a few pitchers now, and for those of you that might not know what those little pauses, those aren't transitions. I'm just taking a drink. I, I, I mean, I'm talking a whole bunch. i got to take a drink every once in a while. Um, let's talk some pitchers now, and 
This one's going to be really quick. Listen, Corey Kluber was amazing yesterday, and this is why you constantly heard, and this isn't just me or, or anything like that, but I think most people were on the, the train of saying there's nothing wrong. Don't worry. Even before this outing, Corey Kluber, do not worry. There, there were some bad starts, four in a row that were really bad, 13, 10, 8, 7 hits for him, um, 6, 4, 4, 5 earned runs for Kluber. It was a bad four-start stretch. But even in the midst of that, you first off, when you watch him, you still saw plenty of, of, of flashes of the devastating stuff. It, it, it wasn't uh, just coming up every once in a while. It was still mostly devastating stuff, but his mistakes were really being punished. Not to mention he faced KC, Toronto, and KC again in that stretch. Uh, the first start was at Chicago uh, against the White Sox. I actually think they're a pretty good offense, but they haven't been playing like one, so I don't, I'm not going to give them a pass on that. They, they've been playing pretty poorly to that point in mid-April. But the other three, um, again, two against KC and one against Toronto, that's a pretty tough slate too. So part of it is just a tough slate. But the defense fails him, uh, was failing him regularly. Um, he was making some mistakes on his own to comp and it would compound the defensive mistakes. But all in the midst of that, in those 23 innings of a 7.43 ERA, he still had 21 strikeouts uh, against seven walks. And you know a 3.0 strikeout to walk ratio isn't, elite anymore but in the in the, in the uh, uh against the backdrop of a 743 ERA it tells you that I think uh you know th this is crazy he's not this bad 449 batting average on balls of play during that run too and again he'd been great in the first three starts of the season too that was just another factor so it's not like he started the season horribly and this is all we had of 2014 uh, of 2015 and we're saying oh is this guy a complete fluke from uh from that Cy Young season no he came out looked exactly like a Cy Young guy for three starts including one against Detroit and then got roughed up for four and everyone's hitting the panic button. It just doesn't make any sense. It's just that they see that 504 ERA and they just freak the hell out. So then he comes out and drops eight innings of one-hit ball with 18 strikeouts on the Cardinals and finally logs his first win of the season. Kluber's a beast. Hopefully you bought low. I saw lots of trades flying around. Lots of different analysts were retweeting them uh, when they're answering the questions. A lot of you cashed in out there. Great, great work trying to get him. And I, I sent I sent my best friend a, a, a trade offer. It wasn't even a buy low. First off, I know I'm not going to pull any business on him. He's not going to just uh, let that one slide. It was a deal that included Scherzer. Um, but I, I, I was getting a little bit of, uh, you know, Improvement on the hitter end. There, there were supplementary, supplemental, excuse me, supplemental pieces where I thought maybe I was getting a little bit of an advantage on the hitters there. Uh, so it was maybe like a little bit of a buy low. Like, hey, look at my Max Scherzer. He's actually pitching really well. Oh, your Corey Kluber isn't. And then I'll get Kluber's goodness, and maybe he'll get some of you know Scherzer's regression. Anyway, he rejected it, and he, it was smart to do that. And that was obviously before that start. Um, and, and you know. Any fears should be completely assuaged at this point, but you really shouldn't have had him um, to begin with because there was nothing that suggested that Kluber was in any sort of trouble. Jose Quintana is uh, back on track, too, and now he's, this is not the same kind of level. He's not uh, Kluberian, if you will, by any stretch of the imagination. But this Jose Quintana came into the season with some, w w with some pub, you know? I mean, th this was a guy who was really starting to kind of make his way into that mid-tier. I mean, I, I had him all the way up at 34 in my tiers. Uh, so this was a guy who 
solid 200 inning guy. I didn't I didn't feel like there was a ton of upside from last year's season except from maybe the win standpoint because I thought that White Sox team was going to be a lot better and Quintana was just 9 and 11 uh last year. So, um but but even a repeat of last year's 200 innings of a 3.32 ERA and a 1.24 whip with 8 Ks per 9. I would I would have taken that. I, I value the fact that he had two 200 inning seasons. He's shown he can get through it, and I, I don't chase wins or or even really build them into values. I just thought that that was something that he could see a, a big turn in and maybe get like you know 14 wins. Uh, and I guess he still could, but uh, they're, they're not playing very well in Chicago. But I, I thought Quintana could maybe get 14 wins. Then all of a sudden you pair that with the 3-3-2 over 200 innings, and and you're looking at a pretty high quality pitcher. Um, and so he, he'd been kind of touch and go to start the season. He, you know, KC roughed him up, but then it's like, okay, well, KC's actually awesome, which is weird. But then uh, it was great against Cleveland. Well, then Detroit drops nine earned on him, and that one, that one stung. But again, it's Detroit, and, and I think they've owned him forever. However, since then now, uh, Quintana has four starts of a 2.08 ERA with 28 strikeouts in 26 innings. So, I mean, he's he's back on track. I'm valuing him just as I was in the preseason. You know, as as somebody, I, I don't know if he's going to land 34th again. Actually, we're about to do rankings up, updates, and so um, I'll, I'll have a firmer grasp on exactly where I'm going to put him. But I'm valuing him very much in that in that same kind of tier. And and for me, that tier ran from 34 to 43. So I'd be very surprised if when I ran everything that he wasn't still very right in the heart of that tier uh, because I think Quintana is completely back to whatever you thought he could be uh, if you were kind of pro-Quintana coming into the season. And then the last guy I want to talk about is Sonny Gray, uh, who's doing his best to make me look stupid. (laughs) Um, You know, whenever I would do podcast appearances or radio show appearances in the preseason, they always ask, you know, who's a guy that you don't think is going to be all that great who's, you know, being treated as, as such? And so, you know, that was one of my picks. I'm like, well... As much as I love Sonny Gray, and I do love watching him pitch, this is a guy I've been pretty high on pretty much since he came in, he's being valued as a top 20 starter. And I'm like, I'm not going to pay that price. And the main thing that I continue to say was I thought that his 2014 strikeout rate was the one that that we're going to see from Gray. Seven and a half strikeouts per nine. I think it was uh, about a 21 or 22% rate last year. And I'm like, that's that's what we're going to see from him. And, and that's perfectly fine. But um, and I, I love 219 innings of a 308 ERA and a 119 whip. And that's what Gray gave last year with a 20% strikeout rate. So um, I just was worried that, okay, first off, there's no wiggle room in the ratios at that point if I'm paying a top 20 pick for him. And I just didn't think that the strikeouts are coming back. Well, like I say, he's doing his best to make me look stupid because the strikeouts are there and they look a lot like his 2013 season when he had a 26% strikeout rate. So far this year, Gray is up at 25%, thanks in large part to uh, strikeout totals of 10, 9, and 9 in his last three outings. I mean, he's been amazing. The, the amazing ratios are there once again, too. Sonny Gray has been tremendous. He's actually second on the ESPN player rater for, uh, is that for all players or pitchers only? Let me find out. 
that would be for pitchers only. He's actually 13th. So hit, hitters are really uh, ruling there, which is weird because it's usually the pitchers who uh, are highest on the player radar. I don't know if they adjusted things or anything, but uh, pitchers usually really fill a lot of the top 20. But right now, um, they, the first pitcher comes in at 10 with as Felix, and then 13th for Gray. But he's second among all starters. So let's see. I had him. Where did I have Gray coming into the year? I had him pretty low, folks. I'm not even gonna. I'm not even gonna front. Uh, I had him 36th on my tiers because I, you know, a little bit behind, uh, just behind Quintana and Cobb, and my, my well, that Cobb was after the injuries. Um, and, and again, gonna be really good, great ratios. Uh, Oakland should be an okay team, but where are my strikeouts? Well, the strikeouts are there. So at this point, I got him back. I think I think we can believe in in these in these strikeouts here, at least a little bit. Uh, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna completely overreact and say oh he's top ten right now get you know 100%. But in addition to the 10 nine and nine uh, Ks that he's run off in, in his last three, Gray had seven and six in his two starts before that. Of course he started off you know p playing out exactly what I thought in his first three starts Sonny Gray had three four and five strikeouts in eight seven and a third and six innings respectively so he had a 211 ERA but just 12 strikeouts and so I was like okay that, that's pretty much exactly what I thought a very good pitcher but not somebody who's going to get strikeouts then the strikeout surge has come so I want to investigate a little bit more before I, I, I fully commit and so you'll see the actual ranking again when we do rankings updates, which I believe are going to start rolling out next week. But I'm going to say that I think he's going to make it all the way into the top 20 right now. And part of that um, is, is simple attrition. You know, guys that were ahead of him that, that have no chance of being ahead of him now, Adam Wainwright, Matt Latos, uh, Masahiro Tanaka, who's hurt, Alex Wood, Tyson Ross, um, I don't think Jacob deGrom is going to last ahead of him. Obviously, Hasashi Iwakuma, Michael, uh, or excuse me, Phil Hughes. Uh, probably Michael Waka, too. As much as I love Waka, although he, he turned his strikeouts up today and showed what he can do, and I, I still think that he can, Michael Waka can be a consistent strikeout guy. Um, and actually, I, 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 might, I might view those two pretty closely, to be, to be quite honest, between Waka and Gray. So, so we'll see, but I think that Gray has moved into the top 20 at this point. Um, and so I, I got that one wrong. Although, here's the thing. I'll, I'll stand by it a little bit. First off, the season's not over. He's not guaranteed to finish with the strikeout rate. So I, I shouldn't say I'm totally wrong just yet. But um, the one thing, too, is that I guess even if you, even if you thought this was happening – I guess you had to pay that price. I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit flustered on Gray right now. I'm, I, I, I definitely um, am looking foolish so far on, on, on having him down so low and, and given how great he's been. And I'm going to alter my ranking on, on Gray, but I'm not going to completely say that, hey, 25% strikeout rate is 100% real. Buy in now. Anyway, I'm, I'm going to wrap this up because it's going now 41 minutes and i got to eat some food. But I uh, appreciate you listening. Uh, it's not going to be a regular thing where I roll solo, but uh, if you want to let me know what you th thought, just tell me in the comments. Please rate and review the podcast on iTunes. We greatly appreciate that. And as always, you can hit me up on Twitter at Sporer. Um, until Sunday's episode, take care.